Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host, and I am here with another one of those adventurous photographer types who just happens to be doing some beastly things athletically as well, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. Uh, I apologize ahead of time. He's traveled a lot. I love travel, and every time we have one of these guys on, it just seems to go forever. So we'll we'll keep it to a reasonable length of time. He's coming out of San Francisco, and uh, if you guys have not listened to the show before, you can learn more at athleteonfire.com. If you're finding us from iTunes or Stitcher, or if you just stumbled upon us on YouTube or something, you can you can go listen to some of the other YouTube interviews. We have today over 105 interviews with amazing athletes all over the world, and our goal really is to just tap into something that might inspire you might teach you something so you can go do some amazing things your, uh, on your own. And uh, today I'm, I'm excited to introduce, he's, he's the founder of whereandwander.com, uh, W-H-E-R-E and wander.com, and his name is Kian Lamb. Kian, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good. I, I'm, I'm glad that I got the tutorial on how to say the name before we started so I didn't have to get all nervous about that. That's always like the most nervous part of any interview for me is the freaking intro. So thank you for, for the tutorial and thanks for coming on today. I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. Excited. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have fun, man. Uh, just talking to you before we got on air, there's, there's a lot of cool things that you're doing, a lot of things that... You know, I think as a as a person, we would we would definitely get along just to be able to talk about this stuff. If we were if we, if we had a beer or a coffee right now, we, we probably would, would make a few hours of it. But we're going to try to bring some value to the listeners today, some adventure, um, some really really cool things. And I, I want to start off. Your website is amazing, wherewander.com. You guys can follow along. And right when I got on there, I had to click on the bucket list. And you have let me see here. You have 172 numbered list items on your bucket list. Um, yeah. You told me before we got on here that you have like 500 on your offline list. So you're, yeah. you're kind of ambitious, man. So tell me about the bucket list. Like, how did that start? Of course people have bucket lists, but this is pretty ambitious. How, how did it start, and how, how are you going about getting these things done and just enjoying the hey process? Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Athlete on Fire show. Before we get into the bulk of the show here, I want to let you know about a project that we're working on project is called Becoming Ultra, and what we've done is we've taken two runners, two athletes who've never run over a half marathon before out here in Colorado, and we've hired a couple amazing coaches, the, the Ultra Runners of the Year in 2013 for the men and the women, and Michelle Yates and Ian Charman, and what's going to happen is they're going to coach these two runners to a 50K uh, in on July 19th in Aspen, Colorado, 50K on the trails of Colorado, and we're going to be following them every step of the way. We have an amazing uh, videographer that's joined us to film the whole project, and we're going to be doing podcasts and blog posts and tons of content along the way. If this sounds like something that you're interested in or you're ready to take the next step for your running uh, efforts, then you can check out more at becomingultra.com. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. How did that start? Of course, people have bucket lists, but this is pretty ambitious. How, how did it start, and... How, how are you going about getting these things done and just enjoying the process? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, people have bucket lists, and it, it's a nice thing to kind of, like, have there to dream about. Um, I feel like the problem is just most people don't actively take a look at their bucket list to try to do things on there. You know, you might have, like, 20, 30 things on your bucket list, and you might check off one. And probably inadvertently, you know, or like after a few years, you're like, oh, hey, I finally got to do this. Great. Um, I use my bucket list, uh, the larger offline one, as a way to kind of just live each day to the fullest. You know, not to sound too cliche, but, you know, you have big things on there that you can't do in a day, like visit all seven continents, you know. And then you have smaller things, you know, some of the pay it forward type stuff, like leave a 100% tip. You know, like a, a meaningful 100% tip at a restaurant. You know, just something that sort of, um, you know, it can build a story around your day. You know, it doesn't have to be big. You know, it, it doesn't require you to get a plane ticket to fly somewhere else just to do something. Um, but as long as you kind of like actively take a look at each day and say, hey, what can I do with the hours that I have? Then that's what it's all about. Nice, man. So, so uh, let's tell the listeners right now, like, what are you? What do you do? You know, it's, it's a tricky <laughs> question. Um, you can get an idea that you're creative if you go to the website and you're a traveler and an, an athlete, but how would, you, how, how would you explain that to somebody? Uh, 
I'd start with saying, you know, uh, at heart, I am a photographer and filmmaker. Um, so that's what facilitates a lot of what I do. You know, it's part of what uh, constitutes my income. Um, but it's also what allows me to go from place to place and to kind of uh, experience things and document them. Uh, so, yeah, photographer, filmmaker, and then outside of that is just everything else that comes with these different experiences, you know. Uh, so whether you want to say adventurer or um, athlete, you know, entrepreneur, you know, whatever it is, you know, like I just want to dabble in everything, but not just dabble for a day and disappear. You know, yeah. like I want to find things that interest me and pursue it, you know. Um it's just a matter of balancing it and finding the time to go back and forth between things. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, so, of course, we're, we're here on, on Google Hangouts, and, and people can check out the video if they want, because I'm about to make a reference that the video is important for. So I'm looking behind you right there, and uh, you said you like to dabble, and I think the room that you're in is, like, a perfect dabbling room. I see, like, an old-school typewriter over there. I see a guitar hanging on the, on the ceiling over there, and it looks like some artwork behind you to your right, maybe. Maybe to your left. I don't know how how uh, Google, works, but so so tell me a little tell me a little bit about where you're sitting. Do you have a story for that guitar back there? Actually, I bought that guitar in uh, a Mexican pharmacy. Um, I was on a cruise with uh, my family. The first one we went down to Mexico, um, just walking around, and then yeah, I walked into a shop and they were selling guitars. Um, it turns out they were also a pharmacy, you know, like the ones where you pretty much get every single type of drug you want um, for like two bucks. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, you know, I want a guitar. And it was like, <laughs> it's like $30. So I just grabbed it and then uh, just came back on the cruise with a, with a guitar from a Mexican pharmacy. Oh, that's awesome. So, so you went in there and you told me you were feeling a little down and you asked what they had. And uh, you're you're expecting some Zoloft, and they they said you just need some you just need some music, my man. Just play some music. <laughs> so can you play? Can you play guitar? Uh, a bit, yeah. yeah. So uh, my main instrument is uh, you can see over here. It's a piano. Uh, nice. So I grew up playing the piano, and uh, you know, just kind of picked up the guitar. So every so often, I can like sit at my desk and sing along to a song or something. Uh, so yeah. I can't I can't tell is that typewriter is that vintage or is that a is that a prop? Uh that's a vintage uh, typewriter. Is there uh, a story? Uh, no, it's a, it's a gift. Um, yeah. I love collecting old vintage things. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, I love the nostalgia associated with it. Thinking about you know when the last time this one particular item was used. Usually you find it like in an antique shop. It's all like covered in dust. It's been sitting yeah. there. Obviously before that, someone had to decide to put it up for sale. And before that, it must have been sitting around for a while before they decided, hey, or they found it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm not a, co a collector or anything in that, you know, I'm looking for really rare, expensive stuff. But, you know, I'll travel and if I see something that just kind of piques my interest or is like, you know, it's nice eye candy, I'll kind of take a pick it up. Nice. No, that's cool. I, I just love hearing the stories behind items. I mean, when you travel, you know, I'm looking behind me, there's there's trinkets from, from Vietnam and Thailand and South America and usually there's a story behind it for the most part and, and those stories are really interesting to me. Um, you know, we're going to get into a little bit more of your history here in a second, and then in the middle section, I want to go through your bucket list a little bit, just have some fun with it, the, kind of yeah. the why behind some of them, because some of them are fun, some of them are pretty ambitious, like the very first one says go to space, I'd love to hear why you want to go to space, um, so we'll, we'll do that in the second segment. For now, just take us back a little bit, you know, I think reflecting uh, on our childhoods tell us a lot about where we end up a lot of times, so go back to when you were 15 years old. Um, what you know? Let's take a Saturday when you're 15 in the summertime. What were you doing all day? Who were you doing it with? Just kind of tell us a little story there. Saturday. Uh, let me see. So I'm in high school, sophomore. Um, so it was a mix of you know obviously different things you're doing in high school. So I was on the high school speech and debate team, and so there were a lot of tournaments uh, on the weekends. 
So, um, yeah, I was doing an event called Extemporaneous Speaking where they give you a question and you come up with a seven-minute speech in 30 minutes. Uh, and so I think a lot of the weekends I was doing that. Um, yeah. And if not, then, you know, it could be – most of the uh, the sports competitions were weekdays. So check that off. Um, and if not uh, – what else was I doing in high school? I wasn't one. Of, I wasn't a big like party animal or anything, you know. So um, if anything, just hanging out with my friends, uh, going to the movies, things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Where were you yeah. living? Uh, I was down in Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Valley. Okay. So, so for people who aren't from the area, what what's the geography there? What's the the culture kind of? I mean, are people active? Are people? Is it an artsy, creative area? What's it like? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> it's a very ethnic, it was um, half Asian, half Mexican area down in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, you have that sense of, you know, the, the community, right? Um, and I felt like it was very different from everything that I've experienced after. Yeah. Uh, going to the East Coast for school was a complete, like, can I cuss on this? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, going to the East Coast was like a just completely different experience for me just because, um, you know, growing up uh, in San Gabriel, you know, you think you're different from this person or that person, you know, you're looking at the nuances of what makes you different. And then once you leave your hometown, you realize, my God, we're all so similar. Yeah. And here's another city, here's another pocket that's completely different from you. Here are kids coming from like a completely different background. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say that there wasn't culture or art or anything. That's stupid. There was. It's just, um, you know, we were very much contained within our own little kind of nucleus, you know, like the different families and stuff like that. Uh, within my family, we definitely were in that my, my parents, um, they weren't like the typical Asian parents who made you have to study and do everything. But, um, instead it was like, they gave us the opportunity to do everything. Um, my brother and sisters were competitive gymnasts. Um, so while I was waiting for them to kind of practice uh, every day after school, um, I'd be doing basketball, swim, ping pong, piano lessons. Pretty much I was doing like four or five lessons a day. Um, and so, yeah, they kind of, I guess they put it that seed, you know, in, um, in all of us to kind of just want to learn as much as we can. Yeah. You know? Hey, look! Here's a cool new like skill you can learn. You know, like you want to learn how to play ping pong. Yeah, why not? You know, you're like five foot nothing. You want to be a basketball player? Yeah, you can. You know, so things like that. Yeah. Um, it stuck with me in that you know it takes a few months of like really hard work and dedication to kind of kickstart every anything. But once you do, you've got to um, you know you've learned something for a lifetime, and yeah. you could pursue it further or you know. Find something else, you know. So, so where, where'd you go, East Coast? Uh, University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Okay. What, what was that like? Oh, uh, yeah, like I said, completely different. It was, uh, it was an Ivy League with, like, tons of people coming from money, for one thing. You know, yeah. obviously, uh, it's one of the more diverse Ivy Leagues, so, you know, you had a lot of people coming in from every type of walk, every walk of life, but, um, yeah, they're just... I mean, I came there the equivalent of being at at the bottom as far as, like, you know, um, our financial right, uh, right. situation. And so it was very different from that sense, you know, like being, you know, in one sense where uh, you're all on the same level, you're just starting college and stuff like that. But on another, it's like I'm working, you yeah. know, to, to kind of pay off some of the, um, I guess, the, the work-study stuff. And, um, you know, I couldn't afford to go out and have, like, these nice big dinners, you know. Like, things were, looking back, they were useful because they were, like, kind of networking. Yeah. You know, with, like, your your classmates. Um, and, of course, just, you know, everything that came up to that point, you know. Like, the, the things, the, the family vacations or what they had access to, you know. It's very yeah. different. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily huge disadvantage it was just like yeah you know, meeting 
came from a completely different world. Yeah, I, I can see that comparison. You know, I, I lived on the East Coast growing up, Florida mostly, but I went to school in, in North Carolina and West Virginia, and I uh, spent a lot of time in D.C., some in Philly and Boston, and there's definitely, versus living out here in, in Denver, um, you know, you go to a business meeting wearing jeans and a t-shirt, you might be having coffee next to a multi-bazillionaire here in Colorado, and you have no clue, because it's a lot more laid back, and yeah. you definitely feel that cat, the kind of the caste system in Cal, where it's pretty diverse and, and pretty laid back, really, um, yeah. that had to be pretty intimidating, you know? Although, I will uh, say, Philly is a cool city. Did you like Philly? I did. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fans of, like, big, big cities. Yeah. So I actually really liked Philly. You know, just I felt like it was it had everything you would want in a big city, but it was very manageable. You yeah. Know, like, like get from one end to the other and um, not feel like I'm lost in, you know, like, a huge world. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've actually been lost in Philly before, and it's it's you, you can see everything. It's easy to get around, and... Uh, Food's pretty good. I, I, w- I would never live in the Northeast again, personally, but I, I can appreciate some of the, the older, big, bigger cities back there. But uh, all right, so let's let's go. Let's get into what you're doing now. So, d- did your degree have to do with anything what you're doing today? Um, in a way, uh, I studied business and finance, and right out of college, I moved to San Francisco to to work in uh, yeah in uh, with a bank, and that was really cool. I really liked my job. Um, and yes, it's not photography, but you know, part of it is, you know, it afforded me like those first couple of years of uh, kicking start, kicking off some of this stuff. You know, it's like as as cheap as some people say travel is. You know, uh, it's a relative term. You know, yeah. to be able to travel around the world, like I didn't spend a lot of money relative to what people make in the United States, right? But compared to the, you know, it's like you have to have like a base and a savings. So. I think, um, yeah, working in finance, I didn't save a whole lot, but it was enough yeah. to kind of start traveling and to give me a few months, you know, a year of like being able to kind of figure out what I want to do or how to get things kickstarted without having to worry about paying the rent. Um, when when did you go off on your own? 2010. And what was the catalyst? Uh, you know, I, I had a few years left in my 20s. Right, and uh, the trade-off was, you know, if I stayed here in this job, got this promotion, um, I'd be making more money, right? You know, I'd have a nice title and all that, but at the same time, uh, more responsibilities. And, you know, I I was already yearning to kind of travel more than the, the few weeks I had a year. But, you know, as you go higher and higher up, you know, you can't take two weeks off at a time, three weeks off at a time, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that was the trade-off, you know, was if I stayed in the job, um, I'd be committing for another three to five years, which, I mean, isn't that long, but it would take me into my early 30s. Um, and would I have done what I wanted to, you know, do in my 20s, right? When you look back and you're like, oh, I had a, oh, my 20s were great, you know, like, what, you know, when you, wanted, when you say that, what did it mean, right? Yeah. For me, I wanted to, there was, um, when I traveled, like, just one, two weeks at a time, I'd meet backpackers and things like that, and, you know, we'd get along great, we'd have fun, and then at the end of it, they're like, oh, where are you heading next? And that was a dreaded question, because, you know, they had, like, this endless itinerary, you know, and I was like, well, I'm heading home, you know, back, <laughs> right? And especially when you looked at the fact that they were traveling on such little money, um, yeah. you know, no big plans, no anything, but they were able to make do and continue to do what they loved. Whereas here, I was getting a steady paycheck, and I was being dragged back, you know. So um, yeah. a little bit of jealousy, <laughs> a bit of curiosity, and just saying, you know, hey, you know, um, I can always go back to finance was what I said. Yeah. But I can't get back my twenties if I oh, want I to kind of travel and you know backpack. That is that's quotable for sure. Um, so did you have the the photography skill? Had you been refining that, working on it? Did you do a side business? Where did this photography piece come in? Because it's a huge part of what you're doing now. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I was a photographer since college. Um, you know, like entering college, I, I've always wanted to take a, a photo class. And of course, being in like a four-year business program, the first thing my academic advisor said to me was, "I advise against it." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you know, like flash forward what, eight nine years, uh, she sent me a LinkedIn, and I was like. Oh, hey, you remember me? She said, of course. I still have one of your photos hanging in my home. And um, she's always like, whenever we talk, she's just like, I, you know, I have to admit that I was wrong with <laughs> that um, telling you not to take it. But, yeah, I mean, I took a photo 101 class, and she knew it was going to take a lot of time. So she said, hey, you're, you're doing business, right? Like, it's going to take a lot of time to do that. Um. But I don't know, one of those things where I just kind of, you would think you would kind of listen to your academic advisor first year in college, first week, really, um, where I said, you know, no, I wanted, I just felt good about it. I took it yeah. and I uh, joined the school newspaper. Uh, that's where I kind of uh, did most of my training and honing in on the skills and stuff like that, being able to shoot um, fast-paced, you know, can't get it wrong, right? Something happens for like an event, you can only shoot it once. And um, yeah, from there I just continued to shoot. You know, even uh, through college, through those five years of uh, finance, and um, yeah, I had a few gigs here and there on the side. Shot a couple of weddings. You know, I whenever I traveled, I'd shoot, start blogging a bit about it. And um, yeah, when I quit, the intention wasn't to be a photographer. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I said I quit, travel for a bit, you know, give myself like that that one year around the world where I can do all the things I've always wanted to do, get it out of my system, and then, yeah, we'll go back. Maybe I'll kind of work in a startup. Maybe I'll do some venture cap. Um, so I had that in mind even when I was traveling. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, who, oh who, look at this person, you know, like uh, – He's doing this, let's talk, blah, blah, blah. You know, the networking and all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, when I got back, I had a, a couple of gigs that I'd booked long before I started traveling. I did that, and I'm like, let's see where this goes. You know, like, may, you know, I had it as a side business, right? And I, I said, I'll, I'll give myself a few months to kind of set this up so that I can do it a little bit more efficiently as a side business. Um, and one week into that, I'm like, this is stupid. Like there's, you can't be like a, a photographer or a wedding photographer, you know, and be expect to be taken seriously if you're doing this as a side business, you know, for any client, right? Yeah. You're looking for a photographer. Um, it might sound cool to say, oh yeah, my photographer is actually in finance, but really it's not. <laughs> having a photographer be a photographer. So yeah, the rest is history from there. When, when's the last time you wore, wore a, a shirt and tie? <laughs> um, for work? Gosh, I, I can't remember, really. Um, <laughs> I wear it, you know, for style. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that, man. Here's my, wait, here it is. This is the only, this is the only tie I own. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a piece of branding for a different project I do. <laughs> there you go, pre-tied. Yeah, it's like it's it's kind of. I'm in health and fitness. I've I've worn a tie twice in my professional career, and one of them was for an interv interview out of school. But um, it's just symbolic, you know. It's kind of symbolic. Oh yes. So you so you have this uh, this kind of journey, and you realize that photography is going to be a thing. What did you do that one year when you left? Where'd you go? Uh, all right. So I have this one video. Um, that the 15 countries. Yeah, 17. So 17. 17 countries in 343 days. Nice. And, uh, yeah, that kind of sums up all the locations. Uh, I started it, I bought a one-way ticket to London. That was my starting point, and that literally was, like, a week after I quit my job. Um, I just had, the company I worked for was headquartered in San Francisco and London. So I had a lot of friends who came over from the London office and stuff like that. So I'm like, hey, let's, let's kick it off and, and visit them, you know. And then um, from there, you know, um, I had a general rough idea of where I wanted to go. 
but mostly it was to chase the sun. Uh, yeah. We had like a horrible year in like San Francisco of just it being colder than I wanted. And I'm like, God, like I, I don't <laughs> want to put in a jacket. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, about a one-way ticket to London, uh, met up with some friends, then went to Paris, down to Portugal, to Spain, and hopped down across the, um, the waters to Morocco, Egypt, Turkey, Jordan, Thailand, Indonesia, Japan, came back around to the United States and then down to um, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, Bolivia, Peru, and then I went home. Nice. What was your favorite? You, I know that's tough, but you got you to just – how about this? Not favorite. What's your most memorable? I always have like a top three. Um, I mean, I spent I spent uh, Christmas on an island in Thailand with um, like a group like a group of strangers. Really, you know, we all met practically that night. Um, yeah, someone who I'd met randomly on a hike and ended up traveling with for three weeks. You know, so it's one of those serendipitous things where everything just came together, and you're just like, "Wow, I'm here." Yeah, you know? and um, yeah, it was one of those kind of yeah magical things. You know, at like 4 a.m., uh, we're like out swimming you know, <laughs> on Christmas Day. It's, it's where sweet. were you? Where in Thailand were you? Uh, Koh Tao. Koh Tao, yeah. That's so cool. I used to top three, so that's one. Uh, <laughs> Morocco. Um, I always put that as one of my top threes from uh, that trip, just because. You know, the geography was so diverse over there, and um, I love the food. You know, yeah. not so much, the, uh, not so much the, the typical Moroccan things that you think about, like the tagines and stuff. Surprisingly, those were really awful. I felt like they, <laughs> they were, like, very uh, much made for tourists, where they would just cook everything in a giant pot, and they just put it into these little pretty-looking tagines, and people would be like, oh, my God, you know, they opened it <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like the street food, you know, like um, in Marrakesh, the their main square, the Jama Al Fana, I think. Um, at like dusk, they, all these vendors would come together and uh, you know set up their stalls, and then you know they have like these bubbling cauldrons of like lamb and every other sorts of a- any every animal, I think, you know, just like thrown into this giant pot, you know, where they stew it and they just grab the meat out. Literally, they'll just dump it on a plate, give you a thing of bread. And, <laughs> was, I mean, it was so good. I ate at, like, five or six stalls every night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I just squeezed in right there next to, like, the locals. You know, you find the busiest places with, like, basically no tourists um, or even the ones that aren't so busy. But, you know, um, follow your, your nose, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. Um did you go to Canary Islands when you were in Morocco? Uh, I didn't. No. Actually, I have a buddy who just got back from, from there um, last it's year, and he, he loved it. I'm sorry? For some surfing or just He was out? actually scoping out an ultra course <laughs> of, all, of all things. Um, but, yeah, he was yeah. just kind of traveling, and it looked, it, the pictures looked amazing, and, you know, the geography, of course, and he, similar things about Morocco. The food was just amazing. And, um, you know, it's, we're talking about this here coming up in, in a few minutes. Because you have such a phenomenal, ambitious bucket list, maybe it would be cool for you to kind of teach our listeners how to uh, how to put together a bucket, bucket list that's doable but just outside the scopes to keep it exciting. You know, like, I don't know, skydiving. Everybody puts skydiving for a bucket list item. Well, all you have to do is go to your local skydiving place and go skydiving. Pay money, right. you know. So how can we keep it where it's creative enough, but just outside of your reach, where you, you have to work for it a little bit? We'll talk about that in a minute. I was just thinking that'd be kind of cool to do. Um, so, so you had these huge experiences. You took that year off. You get back. You you, you dive into the photography business um, and, and film. It looks like you're doing a lot of film as well. And uh, bring us present day. I mean, what what is your what do you do? Like, what what is your goal with with what you do? What do what do you just want to share stories and inspire people? Do you inspire yourself? I mean, what's it all about? You know? Yeah, I think I mean, pretty much summed it up. There's you know sharing these stories, right? I think there are so many 
so many cool things out there that are not as well known, right? Um, places that are not so well traveled, you know, festivals, um, celebrations, things like that. And yeah, going back to the bucket list, everybody has things like skydiving, running with the bulls, right? Because they're they're well known, right? But I think that there are many, many other um, celebrations, festivals, activities that are pretty unique that we just don't know about. And uh, I want to be able to kind of reach as broad an audience as possible, right? Like it doesn't matter who, because I think at the the core, like we're all curious enough that we want to, to you know, to experience, right? And so um, by reaching out with these people and showing them what I do, you know, finding the experience, I'm hoping they will help me um, track down some of these experiences that, you know, they may know about because they're local to it, you know? Um, I have people emailing me, you know, someone, I mean, someone just emailed me yesterday. Sorry, I'm looking over my other screen. Um and one of the things I ask for on my site is, you know, you know of a cool experience or something, you know, tell me about it so that I can find, go there and do it myself. I can film it. I can tell that story. And someone emailed me from Afghanistan and um, they're like, you know, there's this annual Afghan ski challenge that happens in Bamiyan. That's really cool. Um, they're talking about this uh, game that they play in Afghanistan called Buzkashi or something. I mean, I don't know too much about this, but yeah. it sounds big enough, right, that I'm going to spend a few minutes Googling it to see what it's all about. Um, and then if, um, you know, if it kind of fits in with my plans and stuff like that, you know, here's a person who, uh, here's a contact pretty much that I potentially can reach out to and say, you know, how would I do this? And obviously with a place like Afghanistan, there's safety concerns. So being able to have someone tell you, hey, no, this place is okay, um, really don't go here. <laughs> <laughs> Not kind of follow what the media says, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, being able to kind of like find these experiences that I otherwise wouldn't be able to find by just Googling cool things to do, you know, yeah, and then cool. finding people to do it with. That's, that's really cool. Um you know, we're going to talk about you as an athlete. You're you're doing you're challenging your body in, in a lot of interesting ways. One that you told me offline that was just actually ridiculous, <laughs> which we'll go over in in a few minutes. And, and why in the hell you would do that, I don't know. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, when I know one of your goals is to do the Spartan Death Race this this coming summer, so we'll talk about that in a second. So let, let's take that second about the the bucket list and um, you know maybe bullet point it or just give a couple points on how to find things that make sense for you. Like, you have 500 on your list. That takes a while to compile. Like, you're researching, you're learning. Um, but let's say for your everyday 9-to-5-er, you know, that only does get two or three, four weeks a year of vacation. Um, how can they find things that are going to keep them motivated for their own their own bucket list, you know? Yeah. I think you made a good point earlier when you are saying, you know, everybody has skydiving on their bucket list and it's easy enough to do. You just got to go and pay for it, right? And I think it's important to have those things in there as well. You know, you have things in there where there aren't so many barriers. You know, the barriers might just be maybe fear. I don't know. Uh, maybe time. You know, because there are all these things that hold us back from doing things, right? It could be money. It could be time. It could be, our, like, you know, our own, um, like, interest. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and that it spans, like, a, kind of the breadth of, like, all the different motivations for doing something, right? And something like skydiving for somebody might be the absolute worst thing that they can do. And so <laughs> not about the money. Someone can say, hey, you know, I'll let you do it for free, and they won't do it, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's different for everybody, but you need to have the big items, you need to have the small items, and then you just can have the random items in there that are just you. You know, like um, there could be something that you'd want to do that nobody else wants to do. Uh, let me tr I'm going to go and look at my own bucket list to see a good example of that. Uh, how, about, how about number 14, haggle for useless trinkets? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I, I love haggling, right? Uh, it's so fun. It really is fun. I, I love it, you know, like, to the point where, like, sometimes I feel bad 
when at the end I actually get a deal and I'm like, God, you know, like I just saved 50 cents and, um, you know, I made such a big deal out of it. And, uh, meanwhile, this is someone else's livelihood. Right. But I think it's just, it's part of the process of traveling in some of these countries. It's just their part of their process of doing business. Um, and it's a, it's a fun thing for me. So like I put it down there, um, you know, and then I've done it tons of times, but it's, there's certain things I've put down there um, that even though I've checked off, it doesn't mean I won't do it again. Yeah. It's a, it's a reminder that, hey, you know, there there's small things, you know, like sometimes it's just like, you know, you can go to the beach and just lay there for an entire day and do absolutely nothing, right? Or like let's say you're, um, you know, I have a nice little challenge for people where, you know, like in a you know, in your work suit or whatever, like just in the middle of the day, right? You know, when you go out for lunch, just lay on the ground for like 30 seconds, all right? And do nothing or do it for a minute, you know? Like just do nothing. I'm sure people are going to stop and stare at you, you know, but don't worry about it because so what, right? I mean, as long as you're not like laying in the street where you're going to get run over by, by a car or you're yeah. illegal, right? Like just, just stop and just do this and realize that, you know, whether people are judging you or they're not or they're curious, like, none of that really matters. But guess what? You just did something that probably is exhilarating in a way and also relaxing, you know? And if you can do a small thing like that, you know, imagine what you can do if you take, like, you know, those baby steps towards, like, the things that you're afraid of doing. You know, I love I love the idea of doing something that I know for a fact nobody else in the world has done, and like whether that's starting a, a niche business or a concept or this podcast or whatever it is. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of freedom in that, um, and I think those are those little things you're talking about, like sit in this one spot doing this one thing for this long. There's a good chance it's going to be pretty unique, you know, even though it's really small, you know. Um, yeah. So, okay, so those are some good points. Like, know, know what your fears and what your limitations are for the bucket list. So money or fear or time or even your interests. Um, yeah. Have your big goals and your small goals. That's important, too. So, you know, you have your skydiving, but then you have your, like, you have here, eat a beignet and Café du Monde, like, which I just yeah. did a couple couple months ago, for the record. Um, but those little things are important, too, because it keeps life kind of interesting and exciting and, and diverse. Like, you can make a walk to the to the grocery store way more exciting if your goal is to find 10 pennies on the way, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've got, um, you know, what, when I posted some of my bucket list items, someone's like, just make sure you don't, like, waste one of them on seeing the world's largest ball of yarn. I'm like, what? That's, like, so high on my list. I'm surprised, like, I forgot to put it on this one. Um, <laughs> and it's just, I mean, there's something so stupid about, you know, someone making a giant ball of yarn that I'm like, I've got to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Where is that anyway? That's somewhere in the Midwest, isn't it? Somewhere, you know, and one day when I'm in that area, I'm going to look at it and I just want one of those really ultra cheesy tourist photos where I'm just standing right next to it, you know, maybe with a thumbs (laughs) up and I'm pointing at it Um, and throw out all the photography like skills out the window, composition, whatnot. I just want like a, a snapshot. Of that, yeah, you know, that's um, so cool. Yeah, recently I drove to um, after OCR Warrior uh, in Vegas. Um, I was I told my friend, hey, you know, you want to come out? Let's do a quick road trip. Say, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I will figure it out. And I kept saying, we'll figure it out until like literally we left Vegas, right? And I'm like, um, let's go to Roswell, New Mexico. You know, like, it's, it's only, like, a 12-hour drive or whatever. I'm like, hey, let's go to Roswell. They're like, what's in Roswell? I'm like, it's it's Roswell, you know, alien crash, whatever. You know, I just want I wanted to just go out there and um, have an alien milkshake, you know, like, an <laughs> cafe. All I wanted to do, and, like, if I could do that, it was worth the trip. You know, to me, that sums up the whole kind of bucket list thing. You know, it, it doesn't have to, like... Um, be financially responsible. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be like something significant. It doesn't have to be something that everybody else wants to do. It just has to be something that you want to do, like you said, you know. Yeah. Um, and for me, yeah, why does uh, you know having a beignet in New Orleans 
trump like so many of the other food things out there. It doesn't. It just happens to be one that I want to do. And if I happen to be anywhere in the vicinity of uh, New Orleans, uh, I'll, I'll stop by and do that. And it's, you know, it's New Orleans food. I mean, you, usually you're out having beverages in New Orleans. It's perfect post-race or it's perfect post-night food. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Uh, okay, so real quick, I, I want to have a little more fun with the bucket list and we'll move on to the athlete part. Um, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to scroll slowly. You have 170 of these things. And I'm just going to say one of them or we'll just have fun with one of, the, one of these things. And if anything, if you're listening to this or watching this, uh, go to whereandwonder.com slash bucket list just to check out this list because it's really funny but it's really interesting too. So uh, meet the Dalai Lama. H- have you done that yet? Yep. What? <laughs> Yeah, um, 2013. Uh, yeah, had one of those short private audiences with him in uh, his compound in uh, northern India. Wow, how cool was that? It was like, I mean, when people say surreal, you know, it's like, yeah. It was one of those moments where, you know, like, yeah, you can not make a big deal out of it or you can make a big deal out of it, you know, whatever you think you're going to do. And then I get there and, you know, he comes walking out and you're just like, holy shit. That's, <laughs> you know, like, I don't really get starstruck, you know, like living in L.A., you kind of like bump into celebrities here and there while they're out eating and whatnot. And you're like, oh, there's uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal or whatever, right? But, uh, you know, he comes <laughs> out two guys with like AK-47s walking in front and behind and you're just like, that's the Dalai Lama, you know, like, he's coming over here, he's going to shake my hand, and it's going to be ridiculous, and it was ridiculous, you know, like, just something. <laughs> Did you get to talk to him at all? Very, very briefly. Yeah. Yeah, he asked where we were from, and stuff like that, and yeah. Yeah, still, just, okay, Aurora Borealis, have you done that yet? Not yet, very high on my list. Still, have not done it. I just need to get further up north. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge. I was looking at flights to Iceland this last winter, but our we have two little boys, and they were uh, they were not travel ready. They would have drove me crazy. All right, let's see here. <laughs> um, eat fresh uni underwater. Oh God, I love uni. <laughs> it's funny because I was just talking to my friend about this. I'm like, I feel like the best way to eat uni is to just brush it on your tongue. You just get like a brush. It just like brushes. Just spread as much of it as thinly as possible so you can maximize like the taste value, you know, for like that piece of uni. But um, I've heard of uh, one of my diver friends, uh, you know, saying they ate like a scallop underwater. And I'm like, how do you do that without dying and <laughs> like choking? <laughs> you know, how do you like, do that? Seriously. I, I figure, I'll figure it out when I get down there. But I'd imagine it's a combination of, like, choo-choo, air, choo, air, you know. Like, I don't even know how that would taste good, personally, just because, like, you know, so much of, like... Um, the salt? You know, the just taste, right, comes from smell. Yeah, it's, yeah. When you can't breathe and you're trying to just, like, you know, just survive. Uh, but I think it would be an interesting to just, you know, like, I mean, that's as fresh as it gets, right? You know? <laughs> you like, well, water and, like, yeah, just get one of those things, crack them open, and then uh, just scoop out a bit, put it in your mouth, and just, you know, close your eyes and enjoy uni the way it's meant to be enjoyed. But underwater, um, random. Again, probably not on anybody's bucket list. So uni, that's, is, that, is that the eggs of Earth's? Uh, um, urchin. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've had that. Yeah. I think I've had that before. Um, all right, let's see here. Where's that one I like? Oh. Oh, have you hunted and cooked a deer yet? No, I have not. Um, yeah, I, I, I really want to do that. I think um, the plan is actually right after the summer death race. I'm heading up to my old boss's house in uh, upstate New York. And, uh, yeah, he's, um, his nephew is supposed to take me out hunting. So, yeah, I mean, I've cooked deer, you know, from someone else's hunt. But, yeah. Uh, I want to Self. Um, so, and I, nice. you know, I'm not a, I'm not too big into the the whole just kind kind of hunting for sport, right? Uh, kind of. Um, so I think you know, if you hunt and you cook it. You know, I feel like it's a little bit more justified. Um, yeah, no strong uh, opinion out there, 
Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I mean, if you're going to hunt, you should be eating it for sure. Um, million views on YouTube. Are you there yet? Uh, yeah, I got that with that first around the world video. That first one, nice. Yeah, it kind of. Uh, I posted it. Um, you know, I'd hope it'd get a few views, but mainly it was like kind of to share with all my friends and family. You know, it was one way to say, hey, look, I went to 17 countries, but I'm not going to bore you to death with a slideshow of like me in every place. So this is me in Paris. You need a baguette. You know, like, um, so I put out this video and uh, it kind of got picked up by like a lot of the, um, just a, a lot of different media sites and some of the big blogs. Uh, I think they kind of just like that story of somebody quitting their job, buying a one-way ticket, and then coming back a year later with this video. Hey, I'm going to give you guys a break for one second. If you guys are listening to Ken's story and it's really resonating with you, you really enjoy it, there are a couple other episodes that I think you might enjoy. And the first one is Chris Burkhardt. Uh, he's done a lot of surfing photography and uh, Arctic surfing specifically. And you can find that at athleonfire.com slash 68 for episode 68. Also, Nathan Welton is an amazing photographer as well. And he is a rock climber. And he tells a pretty amazing story about his wife who had a death-defying injury on the rocks in Turkey. And you can find his episode at athleteonfire.com slash 93. Those are a couple you might really enjoy. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of this episode. So, yeah. All right, we'll do one more. Like I said, you guys, there's 172 here, and they're somehow they're all interesting to me. So, well done can because <laughs> i'm just like I, I love this crap so s- number 108 it says stand in the the hagia sophia or hagia sophia i don't know how you say it well, i don't even know what it is what is that uh you know it's just uh it was a, a church uh that became a mosque um i don't know if it went, became a church again or whatever but basically it's in um istanbul in turkey and you know like um that that city's just got like such a his a rich history of like you know kind of being sacked and conquered over and over and over by different people you know uh, yeah. so it was like and oh, so wow. uh, I'm looking at it right now this is amazing yeah just the fact that it's you know like whenever that's happened and like a completely different culture comes in they usually kind of like sack the place right and just kind of like destroy uh, and kind of build things for their own purposes. And I think the story is just like this place is just so beautiful that they just couldn't do that. You know, they just kind of repurposed it. You know, wow. like this something that was like, you know, the, I guess, the epicenter for another culture's like, you know, religious um, needs and then just made it their own, you know, so, yeah. yeah. That's neat. Yeah, that's really cool. I just looked at pictures. I, I think I've probably seen pictures of it before. It's beautiful. Um, okay. So enough of the bucket list. One thing I wanted, I wanted to give you kudos on, I think it's really cool what you do with your website and your business in general, is you have a spot where, I mean, you see a lot of sites that says, it says work with me. But you go to the next level, which is really cool. So you have like, let's collaborate, and then you have all the types of people you want to collaborate with, which is a lot. Like you have adventurers, musicians, but you give a specific pitch on why you want to work with these types of people. Um, Graphic designers, web designers, photographers, film editors, models, stylists, companies, I mean, all this stuff. I think it's really smart business, first of all. Um, And I just wanted to know, has that, has putting that on your site um, reaped benefits for you? Has it really helped a lot with with what you're doing? Uh, In a way, yeah. I mean, you know, this site is still kind of like, I'm still getting it out in front of people, you know, whether it's just through writing an article, collaborating with other websites, uh, or getting a video to go viral. Uh, it's still pretty new, in it, you know, in and of itself. It's been out for, like, about a year, but really for that year I was traveling and really not focused on sharing anything from it, um, just kind of filling out the content. But, yeah, for the people who have come to the site, um, they have reached out. You know, there are people who have reached out and said, hey, here's my music. Um, check it out. Like, if you like anything, feel free to use it, right? And then, nice. yeah, like, and then the people uh, who just email me about places, you know, like, you got to check out this one place in Romania. You know, you got to put this on your bucket list. You know, have you dived here? Uh, oh, hey, I see that Holy is on your bucket list. It's actually happening. Do you want to do it this year? I'm like, oh, I've actually checked that off my bucket list already, but thank you. Um, 
So I think that's great. And then as far as like with companies and stuff, uh, I'm still on the, the reaching out to them level. Right. Um, but, you know, I think they come, they check it out, and they kind of, uh, most companies have been pretty open to kind of collaborating or working on some level, you know, uh, big or small. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, man. So let's talk about, you know, you're on a show called Athlete on Fire. We haven't even touched on it, and that's fine. I mean, <laughs> what, what, what I, I love getting to know people. I think it's important for for just setting a stage. And, you know, maybe I'll invite you back for, for more of, uh, of a talk on specific things that you're doing and then specific athletic things. But you've done some obstacle. I was actually introduced you from uh, one of my guests, um, Brett Matthews, actually, who does uh, Mud Run Guide and, and produces some film and, and stuff. Um, but you're doing competitive stuff too, so you're you're a physical guy. So so tell us about some of the things you've been you've done in the past and things you're training for right now. I'd love to hear that as well. Uh, yeah, so I do a lot of the obstacle course racing, Spartan race. Uh, I've done a couple of Tough Mudders, you know, Battle Frog, things like that. You know, it's uh, it's a fun way to spend the weekends. You know, on the the weekends that I'm not kind of out shooting or traveling. Uh, it's also a great way to actually do something when I'm traveling, you know, because these things yeah. are held all over the, the country, all over the world. So uh, anytime I have a trip somewhere, I will pull up actually Brett Stewart's uh, Mud Run Guide, and I'll use their calendar view and just look at what's going on every yeah. weekend. And I'm like, oh, perfect. There's going to be a race like uh, 100 miles away from where I'm at, you know, like, and boom, you know, like uh, – Next thing you know, like I'm racing in D.C. or I'm racing in Philadelphia, you know, places where I would not probably book a flight over just to do a race. But because I'm in the vicinity, um, I do. Um, and, yeah, from there, you know, I've always kind of wanted to push and challenge myself. So, you know, just running faster, running longer races. Uh, but then um, there are things out there like, you know, Go Ruck Challenges, the Spartan, like, Hurricane Heat, and then, of course, the Spartan Death Race um, that are meant to kind of really, really challenge you, you know, over the course of, like, 12, 24, 36, 48. I, I, mean, I think one of their death races has gone close to, like, 70 hours. And <laughs> to me, you know, like, when I first heard of this and I went to the website, which... Funny enough, it's youmaydie.com. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I was like, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. Like, I can't even stay awake that long. You know, like, just how am I supposed to stay awake and, like, you know, complete, like, what, 80, 90 miles or whatever, however long they do, you know, like, sit in cold water, all of this stuff. So it was just the idea of it was insane. Um <laughs> The beauty of, uh, is my sort of, uh, I guess, my evolution of thought on that. You know, like I'd say, what, a year and a half ago, I'm like, I'm never going to do that. And then about a year ago, I'm like, God, that would be cool if I could do that. You know? <laughs> and I think about like six months ago, I'm like, how would I do that? You know, and then... I did the 12-hour the hurricane heat, which qualifies you for the death race if you finish. And then I'm like, should I even attempt to do this? Um, to the point where I'm like, should I sign up? You know, I've qualified. Should I sign up? And then, you know, it's slowly gotten to the point where, like, I've gone from not wanting to do it to, like, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll just do it just for shits and giggles, and then, like, I'll quit whenever, like, I feel proud. <laughs> I mean, and now I want to finish it. You know, you know, what, you know what it is? People desensitize themselves by taking action, you know? And that's that's such a strong skill. And, and so many people, I mean, I, you know, I've worked with people. Half my job, half of the goal of this podcast is to convince people of their own athleticism and the fact that they are athletes. They just have to apply themselves a bit. And, and you just went through the whole process of what everybody does. Can I do a 5K? There's no right. way. I can't even walk around the block right now. I'm 30 pounds of weight, whatever it might be, you know, and you, and you desensitize yourself to the point where after you're done with the death race, they'll be, you'll, you'll be looking for another challenge. You know, I think that's really cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so nuts and bolts, though. What, how do you train? Do you just, try, do you just 
go do crazy long workouts? Just high. I mean, what's your training philosophy? How how are you staying physically ready for this stuff? Uh, my tra- my training is similar to how I kind of approach all of these other travel experience things. It's just to kind of be as diverse as possible. You know, I, I draw from like I draw inspiration from just like other athletes and what they do and not just, you know, obstacle course racers, you know, I think they're a great example of like how to work out just because you have to train yourself in so many different ways. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you're a marathon runner. You're going to run long distances. You're, you're going to run, you're going to try to slim down. You're going to run fast, run long. And that's great. You know, like, um, I'll pick up my tips from them. Right. But that's not going to help you like carry like a, you know, a 50, like a hundred pound, like what stone across yeah. from one point to the next point, right? Or um, so, yeah. I look to other athletes and how they train for that, right? Like you know, you look at the CrossFitters and how they train, and a lot of it is strength, and a lot of it is like stressing your body out and doing so many different muscle groups, working so many different muscle groups all at once to the point where you know it feels good to get injured, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do you have a specific, um, you know, I, I always want to bring something for people to try out. So is there a workout or a challenge or something that you can give listeners right now? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in, in line with the whole death race thing, um, you know, I decided I'm going to go do a 24-hour ruck uh, with a friend. So basically we'll have our backpack, we'll fill it with our, our food, our, our water, and some extra weight, something around like, you know, 30 pounds. Um, and then we're going to plan to hike, you know, at least 50 miles with the goal of getting to 75 um, <laughs> during this 24 hours. Um, and every hour we're going to stop and do 100 burpees just to make sure that, you know, we get our heart rates up. Um, and But the kicker there, you know, because this is training for the death race. There's uh, a kicker. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it sounds pretty boring, right? You're just going to hike. Uh, and then you <laughs> hour um i think that's relatively easy so the kicker is that we have to pick one song and listen to it on repeat for 24 hours um yeah i'm you not looking should, for that part. you know what you should do ken i don't know if you if you already did this you should have people vote on the song oh no that would be horrible but yeah. yes you're right that, that probably is that is the purpose of it um do you okay? So you're gonna be with a buddy, but are you guys both? Are you gonna be able to even listen to each other because you have no, headphones? I think that's the whole point. Um, you know, it's like that'd be great during the race if you had somebody to kind of keep you company and stuff, right? But if they say you can't talk, or somebody is like ahead of you by like you know thirty seconds, you're not gonna be able to say, "Hey, that's uh, wait for me. Let's chat," right? <laughs> so I think, you know, yeah, having the company is nice. Uh, just safety in numbers, I guess, you know, especially if you're hiking in some random place at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but, yeah, I think it's just the only time we'll stop is, you know, like, when we're doing burpees. You know, probably right, you th- you'll take the pack off for burpees, I'm assuming. Yeah. Have you tried doing burpees? <laughs> Like uh, a backpack, it's, it's horrible. Oh, it just destroys your back. I mean, you'll you'll be injured. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy yeah. though. Hundred burpees is gonna take you what? Five minutes eight? at first and half hour at the end. I'd say probably eight to ten minutes um, at first. Yeah, and then, yeah, I'm sure at the end it might drag on to. I, I'd like to keep it under fifteen. Yeah, the whole point is to get in that sort of like just to spike up, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, easier said than done at the 23rd hour, you know, like I might be lucky enough to like push up from the burpee. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that would be horrible. If it takes you 45 minutes to do it. You walk 15 minutes and then you have to do another 100. <laughs> That's just sick, dude. You got you to gotta start the clock when the burpees are completed, I think. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Oh man, it's even worse. No, but I think you know that's just um, I think that's a, no- a nice long challenge, you know, to kind of like uh, separate from like a lot of the high intensity workouts you do, you know, yeah. trainings, um, a lot of like AMRAPs and things like that. 
they're great. They, you know, but every so you, that's not going to get you through the death race. You know, like yes, there will be. I'm sure there will be like short bursts or even long bursts of like high intense, high intensity activities, right? Yeah. But, you know, you're trying to survive for upwards of 48 to 70 hours. You know, so a lot of it is going to be mental. For sure. And a lot of it is like, can you even stay on your feet after that long? You know. Do Do you have a mantra when you're getting phys- physically beat up? Uh, something that you kind of draw from? Ah, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings is um, "in for a penny, in for a pound." Yeah. You know, so how's that? How does that relate to you? You know, I just think if you're gonna do something, you just kind of go all the way. You know, like same. It's it applies more to like risk, right? Yeah. If you're going to make a bet, if you're going to take a risk, you might as well like jump in both feet, you know, as opposed to trying to like, you know, uh, ground yourself down somewhere else and take it, you know, tiny baby steps, things like that. And so, yeah, when it comes to like working out hard, you know, I'm like, hey, look, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take this time out to do this workout, if I'm going to push myself, I might as well push myself as hard as I can today. You know, I'll I'll rest later. You know, yeah. like the pain will subside. Um, but if not, right? If I'm just gonna go right up to like that that point where I'm starting to get uncomfortable and I pull back, like I might as well have not started. You know, like. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good point. All right, man. So we're we're getting close to the end. We got, I have a couple of quick questions for you. Um, First one being, we're so connected, of course. Besides where, whereandwander.com, how can people find you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Uh, all of this, all of my uh, stuff is really, you know, you can link from whereandwander.com. You know, I keep a Facebook page um, where I, I kind of post um, different things from whereandwander.com, but stuff from obstacle course racing, some of my training and things like that. Cool. Um, yeah, and then I've got a separate side, obviously, the uh, where I started, which is my uh, wedding photography site. Cool. So want to look at pretty pictures of people getting married, you know, there's uh, com. Awesome. Yeah, I'll link that up for sure, man. And, and wrapping everything up, there, we could go forever, and, and I'd love to have you on, maybe after you torture yourself with one song for four million hours. Um, <laughs> but the last question I'm going to ask you today is take everything back to that 15-year-old version of yourself, uh, I asked you that question early on, and, and give give that 15-year-old version some advice right now. Oh, start running. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that the weakness? Uh, you know, I just, I mean, yeah, from a technical standpoint, um, I feel like so many of the, uh, the people who have the advantage, you know, in these races, right, uh, they were like runners to start with. Not everybody. You know, but uh, when you have, like, a nice foundation for anything, it's easy to build upon it. You know, I think that applies to more than just sports. Uh, I tell, you know, like, I think I was doing everything that uh, I could at the time, which is to to build that foundation, that interest in life, right? But, yeah, if I had the means to travel at 15, I would. Uh, I didn't, you know. I think I did everything I could at the time, you know. Uh, read, learn, talk to people. I think that's like what you're doing here. Um, I think it's one of the best ways, right, to kind of learn about the world is to just talk to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do. You know, like I, I don't do like a podcast, but I, I'll reach out to people for coffee. You know, like next month, um, I'm heading to Seattle, and I don't know if you know, there's this guy, uh, Matt Harding. That he did. Uh, he's the guy, the dancing around the world guy. I don't know if okay. you know himself. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, he's, that's good. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, he inspired me to kind of do that whole short burst of cities in this time-lapse thing. Um, you know, so I'm meeting up with him, and I think that would be really cool to kind of chat and kind of pick people's brains. You know, so yeah. if I could do that at an early age and be like, hey, find all the people that inspire you and just talk to them, yep. you know, I think... I probably have like a thousand things on my bucket list instead of five hundred. <laughs> hey, you know, I think that's awesome advice, man. That's actually part of my story. I, I was, I was putting on events around the country and it was burning me out. And 
the big thing was I was around so many people, but I wasn't able to connect to them because I was working so hard. And when I got back to Colorado that summer, um, we were about to have our second kid, and I and I told Lauren, my wife, I said I'm gonna have I'm gonna have coffee or a beer with somebody different every other week if I can. And I've been doing that for almost two years now. And the first of all, the doors opens for you as an entrepreneur is is huge because collaboration is what allows us to to do this stuff. Um, but just just the perspective that you can get from other people's experience, you can get mentorship without being a, a traditional mentee, and it's pretty it's pretty neat. So I love that advice, man. Great advice. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add in closing, Ken? Uh I don't know. I think uh, yeah, get out there and do the death race with me. You know, it'd be nice to have some company. <laughs> well, you know, I know of a, there's an 11 year old girl in in Southern Cal who I just interviewed, yeah. Madison DeHarris. And uh, she'll be out there doing it with you. So, not to put any pressure on you, but you should last longer than the eleven-year-old girl. I don't know. You know, I saw. You know, like, uh, yeah, I saw that that podcast, and uh, she was pretty tough. So, uh, but that is a benchmark for me. Just outlast Dylan's uh, daughter, I guess. <laughs> That's always a benchmark. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I loved your story, and I hope we can do this again. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Awesome. This is for everybody else. You guys were inspired by Ken Lamb, who's absolutely an athlete on fire. I'm Scott Ginger, host. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.